Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All set for your flight? Yep, I've got everything I need. Eye mask, neck pillow, T-Mobile, headphones. Wait, T-Mobile? You bet. Free in-flight Wi-Fi. 15% off all Hilton brands. I never go anywhere without T-Mobile. Same goes from a water bottle, chewing gum, nail clippers, okay, passport. Okay, I'm going to leave you to it. Find out how you can experience travel better at T-Mobile.com slash travel. Qualifying plan required. Wi-Fi were available on select U.S. airlines. Deposit and Hilton Honors membership required for 15% discount. Terms and conditions apply. Hola. Hello. This call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier. Thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, right to reply, Stuart Consorts. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Rex Factor, where today we're not reviewing all the Queen and Prince Consorts of England, but we are talking about them, because this is another Right to Reply episode, where we reflect back on the mini-series that we've just finished doing, before obviously moving on to the next lot. So we'll be going through some of your messages about the Queen's, and indeed the Prince Consorts, that we have been uh, doing over the last few weeks. So today it's your messages about the Stuart Consorts, plus uh, the last of the Tudors, and indeed a little interloper. A uh, little challenge for you, Ali, before we get into it. Can you remember who they all are? Um, uh, um, well, no, but I'm going to have a go. <laughs> Can I have the first one? So we start off with the, with the last Tudor consort. Oh, co- I was going to just do the kings and queens. All right, no, no. <laughs> Okay, all right, hang on. Um, So Elizabeth I, she didn't have any. Mm. So then we go on to Mary. And she was married to... So Philip, Philip, Philip. Philip, Philip, Philip. Philip, Philip, Philip of Spain, Spain, Spain. Um, And then they didn't have any children because of sad circumstance. Uh, But he wasn't up for it anyway. So then the crown went to um um hang on who did the crown go to after that well it went to oh, Elizabeth um, to, and then it goes to the Stuarts oh yes i had those the wrong way around okay yeah. and then it goes on to uh yeah cuz it's not mary is it so, okay so let's start again elizabeth didn't have any no no okay mary <laughs> didn't have any sad philip elizabeth rock and roll without the sex possibly so then we go on to the Scottish 
um, James the Sixth. Um, oh, I'm not going to get his wife. <laughs> Anne of Boulogne, Denmark. Anne of Denmark. No, who's Den- that? Well, well, we'll go through all of them. Okay, okay, and then uh, James. Jen Charles the First, yes, Catherine of Braganza, no, <sighs> oh what? <laughs> That's Charles the Second. Clue for later. Can I have a clue for now? Civil War caused a lot of ruckus, being a Catholic, and yeah, all over it. Henrietta Maria, yes, Henrietta Maria. Okay, Catherine of Braganza, done. Uh, but before Catherine of Braganza and after Henrietta Maria, we have a little Republican interruption. Oh yes, Mrs. Cromwell. Mrs. Done. Cromwell. That's all we know. Unfortunately, everything else is lost to time. Elizabeth uh, Cromwell. Thank you. Um, then Catherine of Braganza. Then Catherine of Braganza, and then um, we have trouble because it's James the Second. Yes. And his wife had a baby and it was all very sad and everyone was bullying her and her name was presumably Catherine no Mary yes Mary, Mary of, of Modena Modena very good oh my word don't know where that came from I think I think this appendix was keeping me back uh, okay <laughs> then that's easy because it's Monsieur Penguin William and Mary but we so didn't do no consort because they're both monarchs and then we move on to Anne, who has um, an egg. Has an egg. Do you remember what he's called? No. Prince egg. George. Prince Egg. Prince George Prince of Egg. George of Egg. Egg Mark. Oh, yes. Denmark, because of the bacon and the, <laughs> and the English breakfast. Yes. So those are in a nice quick order were the consorts that we covered. Um, so we're going through all the messages now. If uh, you're listening to this later and you've got something to say about any of these, you can still get in touch with us. Uh, find us on Instagram and Twitter, or X, where we are, at RexFactorPod. Email RexFactorPodcast.hotmail.com and we still go through messages. We have a messages and previews episode as well, so it doesn't matter. If you're listening years later, we can still cover your thoughts on any of these consorts, indeed any others. Um, and also you can access bonus content by joining the Privy Council at patreon.com forward slash rexfactor. We also now actually finally have an official website, rexfactorpodcast.com. Really? So for anybody that likes to just stream the podcast off a website, or if you want to go know where to go for news or links to everything else that we have, rexfactorpodcast.com. It is there. So we'll get into the messages about the consorts. First up, uh, a little stat attack about the Stuart consorts. Love it. And the extras. The top scoring consort from the miniseries was Henrietta Maria with 64.5, which is currently the seventh best in the series. Who's who, So who's, whose reign was she? So she's Charles to? I consort, Civil War. Oh, she tried to keep it all going, didn't she, from afar? Tries to keep it all going. She's also kind of a factor in it starting in the first place because she's so aggressively Catholic. Yeah, uh, whereas... The bedpan lady was really super Catholic too, but didn't shove yeah. it in people's faces, and yet it kicked off then as well. Yeah. And Catherine was right? Catherine of Braganza was also quite quietly Catholic, but she brought tea and marmalade, so I guess that settled, made things a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I could remember that Rex pact. I went, I reached for it the other day. Um, 
and I felt it wasn't there, so didn't didn't deliver. Mm. Who was it again? Catherine of Braganza is the tea, the marmalade. After Henrietta Maria, Anne of Denmark, James's uh, James the First's consort, had the best score, fifty-four point five, and then it was uh, Philip the Second of Spain, thirty-three, just ahead of Catherine of Braganza, thirty-two, Mary of Modena, twenty-five, Elizabeth Cromwell, twenty-three point five, and bringing up the rear with just twenty points was Prince Egg. Henrietta Maria nearly had a clean sweep in the individual factors, so she was top scorer in this miniseries for battliness, scandal, longevity, and dynasty. Whoa. It was only subjectivity where she wasn't top of the group, and in fact was bottom of the group. Yeah. In stark contrast, so Anne of Denmark with thirteen was the top scorer for subjectivity. Anne of Denmark, yeah. James was... first. James the first, thank you. Yeah. She was very into her masks. As in the performances, not just the faith mm-hmm. uh, The best factor for this group of consorts was longevity, with an average score of 8.86, and then battliness, 7.86. So best, is that so just the best we're getting... average score for oh, these right. ones? Which is interesting, obviously there's very different to the Six Wives of Henry VIII, where most of them only manage <laughs> at best three years. Yeah. That's not at all funny, is it? I don't know why I laughed at that, but he is how sanitised history makes him. That's murder. Dear, dear. So anyway, I, uh, very much dominated by Henrietta Maria in the scores, but now we shall move on to your messages. Correction Corner. So obviously it's all very well researched and I uh, endeavour to uh, give the very best factual depiction of all of this possible, but every now and again I might get something a little bit wrong. Don't believe it, Graham. So, a few corrections from this miniseries. First up, Rob Finch has picked me up on a pronunciation faux pas. And I'm going to do it wrong again for the purpose of making sense of the email, because obviously it doesn't work if I pronounce it correctly. Tut, tut, Graham. Leominster isn't pronounced how it's spelt. Like Worcester and Towster, you can ignore most of the letters and just say Lempster. Yes. I mean, I thought that at the time. But also, uh, it feels like one of those things that sometimes people say just because they enjoy being able to say it. Like, <laughs> and I do get that, totally understand. Uh, but I've just been had my um, fingers burnt once when going to Shrewsbury and with a group of friends who are from Shrewsbury and found it funny that I said Shrewsbury. Mm. I think it was very much potato, potato. I think, yeah, I think that one's more potato-potato, whereas... But Lemonster, I've never... Yeah, yeah, it's just Lemster. But isn't toast as annoying? It's just a bit annoying, actually. Sometimes <laughs> when when its purpose is to sort of uh, trip people up. Mm. Now, in Mary of Modena's episode, we were in the unusual position of debating her dynasty score. Why? Usually it's just a matter of fact how many legitimate surviving children they had, but in Mary's case we had to consider whether to give her credit for both of the children she had by James II or if she should only be credited for the one that she had before James abdicated the throne because the second child oh, yeah. was born after that. Um, now I, Well, I think I was inclined to be a little bit more generous to her because she wasn't getting many points. Um, no, but I, my gut was definitely not. You were, as always, very much a stickler for the rules. <laughs> Letter <laughs> of the law. <laughs> So we agreed she would only get credit for the first child born before James oh, good. King. However, Masfer has pointed out, just for consistency, you only gave Mary of Modena points for one child since the other one was born after the deposition. But you gave James II points for four children. 
three of which were born before and during his kingship, so two by his previous wife and then one by Mary, and one after he was deposed. Oh, good spot. So James II got credit for the daughter that was born after he lost the throne, but Matt Mary did not. But did that child go on to have any... No. Okay, but that's not something we consider. Yeah, but that's not something no, we really okay. consider, though, how dynastic the children are. It's purely a, ca- a question of does it count? So James II did get credit. Mary doesn't. So that's I know what I'm Mary to... get the extra points. No, or James should lose his. We should dock James. <laughs> yeah. That's it. James yeah. II's not particularly impressive score before we're going to make it lower. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, I mean, it wasn't like it. <laughs> something incredibly um, objective like this is when you want to hear things like it's not like it was good anyway <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I think that's um, a fair cop hmm. But so we're going to stick to our ruling of marriage moderna but rather than give her an extra credit we're going to take take a child yeah. away from James II yeah thanks for pointing that out and a speculative and a speculative correction of sorts from Rob Woods uh, following our episode on Prince George, Denmark. You brought up that Anne was almost betrothed to the future King George I, to which you concluded history would have ended up no different. But playing through as an alternative history, it would have made quite a difference. If Anne's unfortunate luck on having a successful heir held with George I, the line of descendants would be quite different. Most like say that bit again. Sorry. So basically, the Anne, Anne and Prince George of Denmark have seventeen pregnancies but no surviving children. Yeah. So if she had instead married George the First, so the Hanoverian George, who becomes the King of England and the start mm. of the Hanoverian dynasty, if the same had happened there, that they didn't have any surviving children, mm. then that does affect history because we lose the Hanoverian line. So, you know, no yeah. George III, no Victoria. Would UK's colonial position in the 1800s have been the same? Would it have been the First World War? All of Victoria's Whoa. grandchildren on the thrones of Europe? Any Hitler? It does all play out quite differently. Now, I'll, it's easy for me to say, I did think about making this point when you said it wouldn't have made any difference. Um, because, as you said, that does have a major impact on two lines of succession. Mm-hmm. So I had a little look into what would have happened. So George I had five younger brothers, but by the time he died in 1727, all but one of them had died uh, without leaving any heirs. And the only brother to survive him died the following year and, widely, to believed, uh, widely believed to be homosexual, hadn't married, so also left no heirs. Mm-hmm. Now, George also had one sister who died in 1705, but did produce one surviving son. But awkwardly, he was king in Prussia. So I'm not sure what would have happened then. Oh, a union with um, Prussia instead of Hanover might have been very, very different. Because, I mean, this is me plucking facts out of the sky, (laughs) but I imagine Hanover to be a bit more of a backwater in that whole European melee than militarist Prussia. Hmm. But would that have been too big a deal for him to have become king of England? Yeah. Would they I have mean, to assign to somebody to a, else? It's like a Philip situation. Hmm. Except that in this case he would have been the heir rather than just the consort. This Prussian king. Yeah. William the Conqueror situation. Hmm. 
So I don't know what would have happened. Um, that's incidentally, I think, Frederick I. So this is the father of Frederick the Great. Wasn't Frederick the Great... Um, uh, is, is he now considered to be an early gay icon? Well, gay icon, it's not like he's appearing on the front of Attitude, but like, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? I remember thinking once, oh, that's interesting, because he's so militaristic, but... Um, was yes, no, yeah, I think, yeah, no, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, that's nice. Anyway, um, yeah. the yeah. the flip side, of course, is that perhaps Anne and George the first Hanover would have been lucky and had a surviving child. Indeed, there were like Anne had a couple of daughters that died of smallpox rather than any other sort of oh right particular issue. So it is possible that they might have had a child that survived and been luckier. Um, but that yeah. would also have changed things, I suppose, in a way if George had been you know, resident and. Well, and also, thanks for indulging me in a bit of alternative history, because that that is where <laughs> that is where I shine, where there's there's no correct answers, <laughs> and you can just swim in this pool of ambiguity. <laughs> but worth raising, though, Rob. Definitely, mm. yeah, more you. to say than simply everything would have been the same. Yeah, I mean that's a bit naive of me, really, isn't it? <laughs> on reflection. <laughs> if I if I just. Uh, squash this creature that's crawling out of the gloop here in my time machine <laughs> nothing will change <laughs> Philip II of Spain now Philip was a tricky one for us because while he was consort to Mary I he also becomes king of Spain in his own right uh, and rules over this vast empire so he was a very different proposition to a standard consort Mm. So as such, we decided not to give him credit for his post-consort life as we felt that would essentially be reverting to just reviewing a king mm. of Spain rather than a consort of England. It felt like he really ceased to be relevant as an ex-consort at that point. He was just king mm. of a much yeah. bigger, much more powerful country. So it would have completely imbalanced, I think, the series if we just had this one rogue king of a different country. In the mix. And a successful one at that, sort mm. of throwing all the scores way out. Uh, so we decided we would only credit him for his time as consort of England. However, not everybody felt that was fair. So first up, J.H. Mallet. I feel like he's done a disservice in this episode. Going by the same standards other consorts have been given, Eleanor of Aquitaine got points for actions taken as Queen of France, so before she became Queen of England. Isabella of France also warred with her spouse's country, both two-parters, by the way, in terms of episodes, so they were two big figures that we decided to do extra episodes on rather than mm. you know cutting out all of the non-English stuff Matthew Constable thought maybe there was some double standard in how he treated Philip hey guys just listen to Phil and really thought that you let his being a man work work against him if a female consort has his kind of battliness she would have scored really well if she had a couple of men or women on the side in Brussels it would have been world-class scandal I felt like what you wanted of him in order to score better was to actually be king, which would have made him the worst consort ever. While I don't think he was spectacular, if a queen consort had his, if a queen consort had his story, it would have been a real conversation about Rex Factor. Um. Uh, did we just get a message from from from? Oh no, it's Timmy Mallet, isn't it? Yes. Hmm. Uh, and I haven't heard from Matthew Constable in a long time. Ooh. How are you doing? It's good to hear Hello. from uh, might Partly, of course, because you don't go on Facebook anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why, isn't it? <laughs> oh, sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, 
Still, if any, uh, that was briefly exciting, I thought Timmy Mallet might have been in touch. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a pseudonym. Mm. <laughs> oh, Jimmy Mallet, no one will suspect <laughs> a thing. <laughs> well, what were they saying? <laughs> Sorry, I was only listening to their <laughs> names, really. I just blocked out after that. Well, so... Uh, Another Mallet discrepancy. ...was saying how, you know, we were crediting Eleanor Actain and Isabella of France with things they did with other countries and... Um, gave them the benefit of two episodes because their stories are so big. Matthew Constable saying that if a female consort had been doing all the things Philip had been doing, then we'd have been like, wow, that's amazing, and given them really high scores, and that perhaps we were almost criticising him for failing to become king, like as a weakness. Mm. So it's like we weren't treating him. We were saying we're not going to do all of this stuff because he's becoming a king, and that's not really fair, but equally we were judging him for someone yeah. who failed to become a king rather than just as yeah. another consort. I just feel like it's maybe, when it boils down to it, just a bit of positive discrimination because it's not quite in the spirit of the series. And the thing is, I think he is I think he is different. Like it's, yeah, it is. The context it? Yeah. is different, isn't it? It's like there will be a difference between uh, what would have impressed us from a Saxon consort versus what would impress us from a Hanoverian when you've got such a discrepancy in terms of the information available the roles and things that they can do all that sort of stuff I guess it does change a bit we're still essentially trying to have the same sort of core values of what we're looking for but equally circumstances will differ and that will yeah well and and the massive circumstance is that he has a penis because there's so much that um he is able to do like the scores would be so skewed if we included it and and that is because there's so much he's able to do because he is a fella and a king. Whereas the whereas the scores that we've previously been, you know, the baseline was because everyone, most people so far had been female, that they had the same uphill battle. Mm. Whereas straight away he's coming in at king and it would have just thrown anything out. I think that's it. I think it's almost more the fact that he's king of Spain than the fact that he's a fella. male yeah, in yeah, a way. Yeah. Because if he was yeah. just a generic sort of duke of spain he might still have tried to do all of this stuff but he would have come up against much more of a, a brick wall yeah i mean he did to a certain extent anyway but the fact that he was the becoming I... king of spain was such a huge difference whereas obviously prince george of denmark very different character obviously as well mm, but mm. he is just a man prince but you know he's just a man whereas philip is a king that's true and we're trying to get these people's personalities um and like so, it's good to have. Now we have other fellas to baseline against. Uh, Anthony, uh, have a thought. Philip did a better job than was credited. So regardless of that question of how we judge him, he thought actually he just deserved more credit for what he did do. All right. Personally, I thought he deserved the Rex Factor. What he achieved in a short amount of time, especially as he didn't speak English when he got here. Yes, people know Philip II of Spain, but highlighting Philip the consort of Mary was definitely worthwhile. Uh, and Catherine Elizabeth Sheridan was also left with a much improved impression of Philip. Excellent, isn't episode? Always rather despised Philip, but found the look at his, uh, but found this look at the weight of his other responsibilities made me soften my harsh judgment of him. I think he. Lo- I, th- I just feel like he's Henry the uh, Henry Mark V type character. Hmm. He's got a bit of that. Hmm. Well, isn't he a harsh background, harsh family upbringing, or something? Uh, not that I think it's the same weight of his other responsibilities. You know, the fact that he's his father was schooling him to take over from a very young age, and was saying mm. you will not go to strip clubs and 
gave him all sorts of hang-ups about sex and all of that sort of stuff. Oh, um, yeah, that's not a bad example, actually, is yeah. it? And because he does actually, he becomes king before his father dies. His father does abdicate all of this stuff to him. Yeah. Um, Sent him on a tour of Europe to try and have him ensure he'd be elected Holy Roman Emperor, which he wasn't. But mm. again, there's a lot that a lot of expectation on Philip's shoulders from his father. Mm. Yeah, and presumably it wasn't his fault. And mm. Yeah, yeah, that would be a heavy burden. He didn't even want to be married to Mary either. Certainly didn't want to be married to Mary. And uh, all the time, all he wanted to do was do really well at the job. That's yeah. his only thing. Mm. Well, yeah, I get that, but I, he's still not getting any more credit than he <laughs> Uh, a number of other listeners, though, agreed with our take on Philip. First up, Reverend Daniel. Totally agree with your assessment of Philip as consort. Achieved a fair bit as consort, but based solely on his time as consort, I don't think he deserved the Rex Factor either. Close, but no cigar. Or cigarillo. A cigarillo, as the case may be. Nice. Pat Scott rather pithily provides a very different characterisation for Philip than would usually be the case. Oh, he had about the same power as Dennis Thatcher. <laughs> Yeah. But Dennis Thatcher, who was also sort of president of the USA and just decided <laughs> to go back and then that's a real power. Yeah, I can sort of, I know what you, I know what she means. Luke Seaford said, I think it's fair that he didn't get the Rex Factor. He was technically King of England, I suppose, but that gets forgotten about a bit. Getting your Rexiness forgotten about isn't good. Mm. Yeah, but we're here to right wrongs, I suppose. Mm. But I know I'm... He's on our side, isn't he? So fine. And uh, Amy Evans also makes this point rather well. It's a no for Philip II as a consort. It's like this is a part-time job in a family business that he really doesn't care for and just puts in yeah. the bare minimum. He's really out there enjoying his full-time job and just handling this one because he has to. I can almost imagine Philip doing something like Anna Kendrick, who once tweeted, I just remembered I was in Twilight. Philip II's tweet would be, I just remembered I was King of England. Is that inconsequential to him in the rest of his career? I don't know what um, the reference is, but I get the point. Like, <laughs> like um, uh, Julie Roberts saying, oh, I forgot I was in Pretty Woman. Yes. Yes, sort of, yeah. <laughs> okay. Who's Hannah Kendrick? I mean, An- I, get, I get it. She's an actress yeah. that was in a film called Twilight, yeah. Yeah, and but a famous actress impressive. who was in a famous film, but, but neither of which are really okay. in your sphere. No. Uh, also no, from no. Philip's episode, quite a few people picked up on something uh, from you in the episode, uh, starting with Charlie Catpick. Fabulous as always. My only criticism is with your Liam accent, Ali, which is far more Liverpudlian than I'm comfortable with. My Liam? Yes, you did Liam Gallagher. Oh, why did he come up? I can't remember now, to be honest, oh, but I do remember you oh, doing it. Oh, Liam Gallagher. Oh, no, that is Scouser, isn't it? <laughs> no, that is Scouser. Oh, fair enough. Oh, hang on, what is it? What is it? Let me think, let me think. Got a fellow near. Oh, no, I can't do it. Andrew Williams said, love the Oasis Glastonbury analogy. While uh, Rebecca Parkinson pointed out in response to that things that like the Armada should have been part of his score, even if the Armada was counted, it wouldn't reflect well on him as it was a terrible defeat. Yeah, mate. But don't let back in anger. 
Yeah. Johnny B concluded, whatever Philip thought about your decision, he's just got to roll with it. There you go. You see. That's fine. <laughs> now, Nancy Gill had a question coming out of the episode. I'm curious that you stated that Mary did not speak Spanish fluently, as she was raised by her mother, Catherine Raugan, and presumably fluently bilingual, if not more. Oh, yeah. We know she was tutored in Latin and Greek and probably had a smattering of French as well. I would think that she and Philip would have had no difficulty communicating. Now, yes, that is yeah. a good question. Um, as Nancy says, Mary would have been steeped in all things Spanish due to her mother, and quite a decent chunk of her early years, she was in the expectation that she was going to marry her cousin, Holy Roman Emperor, King of Spain, uh, Charles, Charles V. Yes. So she probably did learn Spanish. Um, I mean, I got it from a... a <laughs> I learned it from a book, obviously. Um, <laughs> I think probably what will happen is being that she will have been tutored in Spanish, but once the marriage uh, to Charles is no longer happening, it probably stops. So I suspect that then by the time she actually comes to marry Philip, it's lapsed. So it's maybe not that she can't speak Spanish or understand Spanish at all, but she is maybe not yeah. a fluent speaker as you might have expected her to have been. But I would agree that, you know, obviously speaking Latin and probably she understands Spanish and obviously there's French as well. So I suspect that she's right. They probably would have been quite easily able to understand each other. Yeah. I, but that did surprise me that I, it must have been it's one of those things that if she went to Spain, she would probably so have a have a learning curve that's on a rocket ship trajectory. Yeah, she would have probably learnt it very quickly, but equally perhaps if she'd been like, oh, I can speak Spanish, and then goes into a shop, tries to <laughs> yeah. order something, she'd have been like, oh, no, yeah. I really don't actually speak Spanish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I. that's a horrible feeling when you really launch into it and then realise you don't know the word for, like, something. Mm. Or a little bit like apples, five pay it comes out instead <laughs> and lastly for Philip a consort limerick from Lewis Bramcombe Hey! oh super duper life in England for Philip was tough lacking power he left in a huff when he <laughs> couldn't get crowned and sadly had found that his wife never got up the duff <laughs> oh I like it just the just like lightest powdering of baby blue there. It's, it's <laughs> wonderful. She knows exactly my level. <laughs> Anne of Denmark. So Anne of Denmark is James the First Consort, and indeed originally, of course, consort to him as James the Sixth of Scotland. Right. So first Queen of Scots, and then to become Queen of England. Uh, quite a few people were impressed by Anne of Denmark. Uh, first up, Katie Ray. Love this episode. She is definitely Rex Factor. After Queen Elizabeth and the Queens before her, I can see why she can seem lacking, but pretending that they weren't before her, she definitely needs it. So I guess if we hadn't had the context of Elizabeth I, the six wives, and these quite incredible stories, maybe mm. she'd look more impressive. Uh, Zita Harkin Vasilisinova also stuck up for Anne. I say she deserves a Rex Factor for a few reasons. She had guts to fight against stubborn Scots to secure every mother's right to raise their child, or at least be close to their children. And she didn't have it easy. She also fought against the favourites and was a huge influence on arts and architecture. And I'm sure she flirted with a few courtiers, and why not? Her only downfall is that she is covered in obscurity, but that could be due to her being a peaceful queen. Peaceful queens deserves Rex Factor as well. Yeah, I like peaceful ones, I think. And WJ Hayes takes that point a bit further. 
Rulers in peaceful times get unfairly maligned for not a lot happening, but sometimes it's precisely because of their traits and character that peace reigned. She gave birth to three sons, which would have given her subjects comfort in knowing that there was going to be no success in issues. While she and James may have grown apart romantically and clearly aided his governance of the two countries, it seems very likely that the incident involving Standen and the rosary beads, this is where some rosary beads are sent from the Pope to an embassy in England, and it was mm. suspected you know, for her, uh, that this was designed to give James some room to manoeuvre during the religious strife of the times, allowing a certain amount of ambiguity to exist to hers and possibly his religiosity, and dissuade the Catholic Church from advocating any extreme actions as it had during Elizabeth's reign. Finally, her life seems like one that would make a good TV series in the vein of Netflix's Queen Charlotte series. Plenty of drama that could be mined for a television series that would make her more popular with the general public. While not as egregious as not giving her the peaceable the Rex Factor, I think this was mm-hmm. a rare miss. Sorry. <laughs> not everyone was team Anne, however. Uh, Sheena Nichols agreed with our decision, albeit uh, with a pondering on the varying standards between miniseries. She was interesting, but there's not a lot known about her. I would like to know more about her relationship with James. It seemed very fraught. She certainly had spirit. Given the lack of information, I don't think she had the Rex Factor, but if she'd been a Saxon-era queen, she probably would have got it, which does beg many a question. But enjoy the episode, as always. It's just tough, isn't it? We've got this. Um, we've got different eras to balance against, and if you compare... You do, we just do have different standards in each era. Because sometimes we say, and Anne might have been one of them, and there are others, sometimes we say, actually, you know, if you just look at their sort of life in bullet points, there's quite a lot there that's impressive. Mm. And I guess it's the downside of coming along later that if we've got lots of detail to fill in on the bullet points and it's not that exciting, then you don't mm. get the Rex Factor. Whereas for the Saxons, when there was so little to go on, if we do have a lot of exciting bullet points... Mm guess we're more likely to in our heads fill it in with exciting <laughs> context well, gives them yeah. the, benef- the benefit of the doubt when there's not much to go on the bullet points this, that maybe have extra weight yeah this this is where the playoffs are so important hmm. but equally you know sometimes with the later ones they have the advantage that maybe the bullet points aren't always as good but if they've got lots of fun anecdotes and personality that we like that can give them something extra that the bullet points can't so it can work both ways Uh, elsewhere Indy Scott's enjoy the episode Indy Scott News enjoy the episode fascinating and entertaining sheds light on some obscure details James's persecution of women on suspicion of being a witch is a dark side perhaps unknown to most and comes across as a sympathetic character yeah yeah that is that is true that that was um, not a nice moment but it's all the way that he's sort of this philosopher king, a very intellectual academic, and does think about a lot of these things deeply, and yet really brought into witchcraft. Mm. Weird. Uh, in relation to your confusion over Pocahontas, at another Native American woman in the episode. So Pocahontas goes to court, so meets Anne and James. And then I think you were trying to remember her story, but realised that it was actually somebody else. Okay. Couldn't remember who it was. Kate Leverser has the answer. Hey, Ali and Graham. Hopefully I'm not the 5,000th American to send over uh, a note about Sue Cog... Now, I'd, I would pronounce it uh, Sacagawea. Oh, yes. But yeah, yeah. At, uh, possible that Sue Cogawea is more correct. 
Um, anyway, Sacagawea, Sacagawea, was a Native American woman who acted as a guide and interpreter for the Lewis and Clark expedition as they travelled mm. to the Pacific and back in the early 19th century, so later than Pocahontas. There was a brief moment of confusion between her and Pocahontas in the episode. Uh, and let me tell yeah. you, if Sacagawea was eligible for it, she would definitely get the Rex Factor. Yeah, 100. She's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, total legend. And that is exactly what I was thinking of. Hmm. Apologies. There you go. <laughs> and lastly for Anne, a consort limerick from Louise. Oh, this is this is a bumper crop. Anne loved music for lute or a play, while James liked to hunt the whole day. Though he started to smell, they got on quite well, so long as he kept far away. <laughs> <laughs> Did he? It was said about him that he was a bit smelly and had poor hygiene. Oh, yeah, they did um, wheeze in the corner, <laughs> didn't they? Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, sometimes it, it's just easy, isn't it? It feels like <laughs> she's just said, oh, well, I just wrote that one off. Skulls. Well, it's the genius of it to make it seem easy. Yeah. yeah. Henrietta Maria. Well, she dominated the scores we were saying earlier in this miniseries and probably got more messages about her than anybody else. Uh, many people were very taken with her. Social Vixen said this was a brilliant episode. You really brought Henrietta to life. Eleanor Matten Johnson made quite an interesting analogy. I would give her a Rex Factor because I think her special something is her exuberant personality and sense of conviction. If she was transferred to the 21st century, she'd be a social media influencer. And she was a social influencer of her day, having the force of presence to convert many of the ladies at court to Catholicism. Yeah, that's a great reference. I immediately got me thinking about um, the woman with all the ships in her hair. Uh, Georgina, or Marie Antoinette. Yeah. Duchess That's of Devonshire. That's a good... Y- mm. Yeah, Duchess of Devonshire. She would have been an influencer. Some people have been looking forward to Henrietta's episode and expected something good, so 332nd Superfan said, I did expect Henrietta Maria to be quite a forceful character based on her brief appearances in the 1977 film starring Sir Alec Guinness and Richard Harris, but golly gundrop, she is so interesting. What was that? Did we? Are we going to watch that? Uh, we considered it and decided that well, I mean, maybe later, but we decided not to put it high on the list. Hmm. Uh, similarly, Catherine Hill, been waiting for this one, did a profile of Henrietta Maria way back when doing my Stuart History A-level and came to quite like her. Was very pleased Graham mentioned her being styled as She Majesty Generalissima. <laughs> Good. And she was a revelation for Jake JD, who's now very much Team Henrietta. Another surprising unknown for me, I think she deserves such a high score and the Rex Factor. I think she may be up there with Cath- the Catherine of Aragons, Ellen of Aquitaine and the rest of the best, which is saying something since I didn't know who she was before the pod. That's going to be really tricky, isn't it? Because Playoffs there's a few characters. Very tricky, yeah. yeah. Some really big characters in there. But some ones that we... Oh, I don't know. I'll come on to that later, but I'm already, <laughs> I'm already opinion forming. <laughs> Some were taken with some of the little details. Uh, first of all, Sarah Stanford. I've clearly absorbed too much Ally, because the moment her breakfast of three eggs was mentioned, I said out loud to myself in the kitchen, give this woman the Rex Factor. <laughs> Quite right. I mean, <laughs> did you tell me that before? Yes. And I was pleased? Yes. Good, OK. Fine. 
that was definitely a moment for me in the episode. I was thinking, how will Ali will Ali like her? Will he not like her? And I think that was the moment I thought. I mean, he's obviously. If I tell him this, she's getting the rest of Ali. Because that Did was after that was after she'd been bombarded when the parliamentary ships were attacking her position and she'd been taking cover for like hour, yeah. for hours in the morning. And sort of the first thing she does once they've gone is to get up, make herself some eggs, and then review the troops. Good, good. Oh yes, yeah, that has come back. Yeah, good, good egg. <laughs> eggs eggs <laughs> uh, Trisha Jones concluded this is a tough one but after much dithering I decided a woman who smashes her fist through a glass window in a fit of pique cannot be denied the Rex Factor and we did give her the Rex Factor we did yeah we did okay fine <laughs> uh, some of the praise for her was slightly damning at the same time so John Stone Street uh, said G-Man totally channeling Simon Cowell with the amount of suspense with the will he won't he give her give HM the nod out in the group stages, but worthy of her place in the final tournaments, the Scotland of consort. <laughs> <laughs> a provocative comparison for a Scottish. <laughs> uh, Cam Chabonnier said, objectively speaking, Henrietta Maria was not a great queen or even a good one. But as a woman blamed by many for the outbreak of a civil war, the eventual death of her husband and the end of 583 years of monarchical rule in England, would I want to be her subject? No. Do I agree with the decision she made? No. Do I respect the hell out of her grit, determination, and overall battleness? Without question. Hmm. Cool. And similarly, Little Renegade says, I think I have a lady crush. I mean, on one hand, she sprinkled blood in shark-infested waters and at every turn escalated the tension in her husband's court and kingdom. Her husband died and the monarchy fell. On the other hand, I kind of want to be her best friend, or at the very least, be a courtier at her good time court. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It doesn't have to go well for it to be exciting. <laughs> Not everyone was won over, however. Rob Woods felt her impact was too negative. I have a tough time getting over the fact that not only was she on the losing side, but her actions potentially exacerbated, if not helped toward leading to the cause, the civil war, leading to her husband losing his head. And her son even recognised her to be a liability and distanced himself as well. She has a lot of what I like to see in a consort, yet somehow she just leaves me with a bad aftertaste. A certain negative something. That's still that certain something. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Rebecca Whitman didn't think there was enough of an impact. I do think that baddies like Isabella of Angoulême can get the Rex Factor, but Henrietta Maria wasn't really enough of a baddie. Yes, she caused a lot of issues with her Catholicism, but as is pointed out during the episode, there was a lot of other stuff going on that led to the Civil War that didn't involve her. I think she is a lot like Eleanor of Provence. She was a force of nature and not afraid to assert herself, but ultimately didn't have any sort of great achievement to push her over the edge. That's what we're missing, isn't it? Mm. But I think I think force of personality sort of won the day Yeah. for Henrietta Maria. But it's definitely, yeah. you know, when we're doing the plovs, it's definitely something that the uh, the other long-dead consorts will be attacking her on, saying, well, but what is your great achievement? What's your legacy? That's certain something. <laughs> that we got. Uh, quite a few people are keen to point out Henrietta Maria's naming legacy, or legacy in names. So first, John Cribbin. This was a brilliant episode. So happy she got the Rex Factor. Could I add that the state of Maryland is named after her? The only state to be named after a Queen Consort. I think that definitely stands in her favour in terms of legacy. Well, yeah. Maryland, eh? What? Um, Henrietta Maria. So. Oh, phew. 
Phew, I thought we were on Mary of Modern. I was getting quite confused. Uh, Lisa Gasson took this further. I realise lasting legacy across the pond probably isn't super relevant, but I'm pretty sure our state of Maryland is named after her. It was unique in colonial times for its tolerance towards Catholics. And I'm surprised that didn't get um, shoved off after the revolution. I wonder what Americans make of her then. Like, from Maryland, what are they taught in schools? Well, I mean, she doesn't have a, I guess this is she doesn't really have any particularly direct role in the affairs of Maryland. It's just named after her. Yeah. Because she's queen at the time, but still. Uh, but Louisa White added, uh, Maryland was the only slave state to join the Union and outlaw slavery during the American Civil War. Catholic abolitionists were a very important part of the Underground uh, Railroad. That is quite a legacy. Mm. But again, not sure how much really we could credit her with that, other than it was named after her because she was queen. But, yeah, interesting. Uh, a dynasty question from E. When covering women, did you think to account for limitations placed on them by pregnancy and childbirth? A king can get his wife pregnant and go and invade France or have sex with nuns or whatever. It doesn't really impact his ability to win points in other areas. But a queen, ruling or consort, is potentially more limited if she has kids. The dynasty score may make up for it for someone like Charlotte or Henrietta Maria, but when you get unlucky figures like Ellen of Castile, who was pregnant something like 16 times, and most doesn't survive her... It affects yeah, them more. A lot of time. Yeah. Mm. I mean, Ella Castile, actually, I think even though she has a lot of pregnancies that don't result in a child surviving her, I think she does still get quite a high dynasty score. She does still have quite a number that survive her. It's only one son, but quite a few daughters survive Eleanor of Castile. Uh, but still, mm. the point, it is a point worth making. So, like, Eleanor of Aquitaine, for example, was actually surprisingly limited in her influence as Queen of England, largely because she just spends the first decade pregnant. Yeah, yeah, that's or true. Just out of pregnancy, um, having mm. birth. So actually, it does have a major impact on your ability to influence events if you spend, you know, ten or even up to fifteen years largely just in that constant cycle of pregnancy and childbirth. And of yeah, course, at I mean, that it's... time they had the, you know, you'd go into confinement as well, awaiting the birth. So you are probably completely taken out of just general yeah. social life, never mind actually influencing the events of the kingdom. So it is it is a factor that does limit the ability to... Definitely does. And that's another good reason to um, get, you know, that, that, that having fellas in skewing the scores we need to be wary of. <laughs> if they've got, you know, in, in times of short reigns, if you're technically out of the office for half of it... Mm. And it's it's one of those where it doesn't really happen very often with the consorts, with the male consorts, but I guess Albert, perhaps the only real example of this, where we have a male consort who sires many children, mm. and thus Victoria as monarch is taken out of the picture to a certain extent mm. because of that, and consequently that gives Albert more ability to have influence mm. as the male consort yeah. who isn't pregnant. Uh, but yeah. no, but it's an interesting point. I mean, they, what they really need, which Eleanor of Aquitaine does have, um, and Henrietta Maria, is to have the longevity as well. So it's to have lots of children and then have a lot of time after childbirth, where then you maybe get the benefit of being a mother and having that greater influence, or at least you just have more time afterwards to do stuff. It's the ones yeah. that maybe have lots of children and then die. You think, well, there's not much you can do. But yet yeah, would have been considered... Excellent consorts of the time. Mm. Uh, so it's it's a, it's very true. It's a very good point in how 
consorts are limited by this, um, but I'm not sure how we can really yeah. mitigate what, what, what that. What to do? Mm. Help us, t- hive brain. Well, I guess that is where you know you hope that you get the benefit in Dynasty. Yeah, but it is a good point. It is a good point. Does that need waiting? We can't start doing that. There's no, there's no, there's no real. Because what would you weight it against? What would you? Yeah. Finally, a limerick from Louise. Oh, this is like um, uh, omnibus edition of the Archers. <laughs> if one were into the Archers. <laughs> Henrietta in England was hated as she spread Catholic faith unabated. She provoked civil war, then for an encore, helped her husband get decapitated. <laughs> oh, geez, <dear. laughs> Oh, well, get a list of achievements there. <laughs> Hola. Hello, this call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow, ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Elizabeth Cromwell. Now, having gone from a huge amount of correspondence on Henrietta Marie, you might not be might not be surprised here we don't have a huge amount coming in. On Elizabeth Cromwell. No. Ashley Baker, though, was something of an outlier in trying to make the case for the Rex Factor. Mm-hmm. Behind every great man, dot dot dot, she built and maintained the foundation for Oliver. She built and maintained the foundation for Oliver Cromwell, the man who changed the country's system of government. Something that might still be impossible today. She did. Uh, she did it with so much dignity and efficiency that even her enemies had little complaint. I say we celebrate her and give her the Rex Factor. I mean, it's just not... I mean, we've got two letters or something. <laughs> One from her and a few from him. Yeah. I think it's the problem, isn't it? The sort of the best case for her, really, was that she was a very good, supportive, mm. mostly wife, more than consort, really, and that enabled him to do all the other stuff. But And uh, that was the point as well. She wasn't... They weren't trying to be consorts. Well, I mean, obviously there's the technicality of the king and not king thing. Um, Um, Yeah. It's conjecture, if we were. Not an argument in favour of the Rex Factor, but Little Renegade thinks she deserved more points. Honestly, I would have given her a point, maybe even two, for the sustainability in organic farming. I'm into it. It's not glamorous, but it's pretty good. Yeah. She has some cows in Whitehall. Yeah. Or St James's. There wasn't many... Fertilizers and pesticides, though, for her to get mucking around with. And if there were, they'd have been used against people first. <laughs> so it's good, though, isn't it? You know, as she said, yeah. organic farming. Lovely. You weren't impressed by that. Well, I mean, it's right up my street, isn't it? But I feel like that's um, that's a spam email. That if I click that, then I'm opening myself <laughs> up to kind of worms. Uh, most people agree, though, that she didn't have that certain something, as summarised by uh, Dillo Chan. She was a minor gentry daughter, farmer's wife, who did well in the role <laughs> she landed in, but wasn't striving to be a rock star. Like her husband, Every... I don't think you'd appreciate. Sorry. I don't think she'd appreciate it if you did give it to her. Yeah, exactly. Completely agree. Every single letter, though, that you read now after hearing Louise, 
each first sentence. No, what? Yeah. Huh? What was the first one you did? Limerick or just that there? Oh, just, she was a minor those... gentry's daughter. <laughs> yeah. She was a minor who, gentry daughter. Who, who wouldn't... did well with what he had taught her. <laughs> Thank you. And then the first email? The first email about her that you did? Uh, uh, behind every great man. She is built it, and maintained the foundation. Yeah. For Oliver it's... Cromwell's... Coronation. Us- coronation. Coronation. <laughs> <laughs> Ali, now it's just any email now just needs to be translated into into a lim- If to... Louise could, yeah, Louise just needs to be my translator. So just go to all of my meetings and uh, give me a summary in limerick form and tell you what. Watch out, world. <laughs> Louise, could you just uh, da 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 that for me, please? <laughs> yeah, put this in your um in that in that sing song thing you do. Uh, maybe Elizabeth Cromwell deserves more credit for her culinary skills. It's Jenny reports. Just been watching an old BBC documentary, which you can find on YouTube, she says, called Supersizers Go, where the presenters eat their way through different periods of history. Oh. So you would eat the sort of, they would be cooked the food that would have been eaten at the time. Mm. They had a restoration episode where the presenters spent most of the week miserable, apart from when they ate some of the recipes from the satirical cookbook Royalist published making fun of Elizabeth Cromwell's household. First time they looked like they properly enjoyed a meal in the episode. It's funny how these days we probably prefer a meal at the Cromwells over a meal uh, over a meal at court. Uh, I don't know the context of that. So what they're saying the the, the so the restoration the, court would have been flamboyant, gluttonous, an excess of like money. That. Well, it was just because they were having to eat it all. They having to actually physical physically eat as they ate at the time, and it's crazy too much. Whereas actually, as with Cromwell. Good bit of organic beef, seasonal vegetables. Mm. Yeah, it's actually more palatable than the. Yeah. The, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, was that really? Do, do do they really eat like that the whole time? Then do you think? Like, oh yeah, the, was the whole ethos. Oh, oh, the restoration. Well, you know, imagine a lot of the time. Mm. Must be so poorly. Well, yeah. <laughs> And portly. Poorly and portly the food. Uh, it turns out I'm really good at the first line. Mm. I mean, mood, I think. The impact on the mood probably would be a good... Uh... It had negative impact on mood. <laughs> you should always eat well to ensure you don't swell. Otherwise, you end up I forgot what I was trying to rhyme it with. Dude. Dude. Dead. Leave it to the experts. Oh yeah, let's see what Louise did for a a, a, a limerick. Oh, another one. Another oh my one. goodness. Brilliant. Elizabeth thought when she wed, rural life with her spouse lay ahead. Then he <laughs> joined the army, and she near went balmy, stuck home with <laughs> his mother instead. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, you know, go with whichever you like. You know, <laughs> she. I'm not saying hers doesn't have good bits, but you know, it's all about where you start off from. You know, if I'd chosen 
different word. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine of Braganza. So this is Charles II's consort, and as you would expect, the bulk of correspondence on Catherine of Braganza relates to the fact that she brought tea to England. Hmm. Some listeners are surprised that she didn't reap more benefits from this, so Bob Potter particularly had his eyes on you. Only five points from Ali for tea and marmalade? Shame on you, sir. I'm going to have to take this one on the chin, I think. I, I'd be, I, I was surprised. I was thinking that you'd be kind of almost giving her the rec factor just for the tea. But I've <laughs> Never got mind, a very just five sensible... for subjectivity. Uh, I, if, no one can lay the claim of being um, irrational at my door. <laughs> or un, what's, what do I mean? Un, inconsistent. Hmm. Uh, Frederico Giordo was also surprised I'm still getting over this episode you guys were so unimpressed by the fact that Katerina actually gave the UK what makes you recognisable outside the UK a stiff upper lip and tea <laughs> plus forks I lent a lot on Catherine of Braganza this week stiff upper lip and tea yeah. <laughs> uh, it is jolly useful but I feel like uh, maybe tea would have come along but she made it popular. I don't know. The more I look at this, the more I'm worried I made a dreadful mistake, so just bury it deep down inside. <laughs> Janet Davies thought she might have had Rexiness within her. So many Rex facts, but not a Rex factor winner. I never knew about the tea, the marmalade, and the fact that she was regent of Portugal, all of which are quite Rexy. She did seem like a decent sort, and I wonder if Charles II had been a better husband, she might have had more of a chance to shine. Hmm. So I think it's a yeah, good point true. that actually maybe she yeah. could have been a very good and effective and popular queen consul, but Charles doesn't. Yeah, doesn't really let her. Yeah, he's not the perfect husband. Yeah, uh, um, I'll concede <laughs> in not every aspect am I entirely the perfect husband. But stick <laughs> with him; it's going to be fun. Now on Spotify, now it is actually possible to leave comments uh, and indeed to uh, do polls. So I've been doing that. For anyone who uh, listens to us on Spotify, uh, you can do that. That's not because we're now hosted by Spotify, incidentally. It's just something Spotify doing with podcasts now. Um, So this has been in place from Philip II onwards. Catherine Baganza is the only one where uh, the polls currently disagree with us, 59% saying that she did deserve the Rex Factor. Oh, right. Albeit there's only from 61 votes, so not necessarily a representative uh, Mm. sample, but still interesting. Uh, But otherwise... It's still TTT. Kevin Ryan dubbed her the first tea lady. <laughs> Jose says she was truly the queen of the British kitchen. And Alexi Sargent concluded, tea, marmalade, the fork and Bombay. For a queen so little regarded by history, she sure gave a lot of significant things to England. Another great informative episode. That Bombay as well. Yeah. <laughs> the trouble is, I think this, this, <laughs> these are all great things that she brought with her. Were they her? Yeah, I mean, Bombay is just in the dowry. The tea definitely is her, and the marmalade is definitely her. Yeah. Is, I guess. I mean, ca- I, I can understand why this. Why we there's it's <laughs> of all of them. This is the one that has. Yeah. yeah. It resonates, doesn't it? Those things really resonate. Yeah. Uh, however, A Ninja was a little more realistic in their assessment. I thought the team might just tweak things in Catherine's favour, but I guess sanity prevailed. Oh, there you are. Hmm. 
I.e. it is all very exciting and fun, but actually in the grand context, is it really enough just to give some of the Rex Factor because they brought tea over? Mm. That's That was my sensible head, you see. Ben from Battle Royale Podcast is very complimentary about the whole series uh, when responding to this episode. Rex Factor is at its best in the Stuart period. There, I said it. It's such an overlooked period and Graham has such a good way of explaining it while Ali's enthusiasm for Charles II, often confused with George IV, is infectious. <laughs> uh, lies. <laughs> uh, Will Tierney made the interesting little observation that Henrietta Maria and Catherine of Braganza, consecutive Queen's consorts, skipping out Elizabeth Cromwell, uh, share a birthday. 25th of November. Hmm. 1609 for Henrietta, 1638 for Catherine. Nice. Uh, Emma Stace has an interesting question. Are dowries, like with Catherine, bringing Bombay, uh, still a thing with royal marriages? And assuming they have, when did they stop? Good question. Very good question. I've not been able to get an exact answer on this. Um, I mean, they're certainly still not a thing for royal marriages, or at least in this country, they're still not a thing. For all yeah, marriages. What, what did Kate <laughs> bring to uh, William? Hmm. Like, Newfoundland. <laughs> um, I'm not sure who the last consort for whom this is relevant was, um, but you know, I'll certainly be on the lookout for the Hanoverian series to see if it's mentioned I, either as Downey's being present or if it's specifically not present, if there's a point at which mm. it stops. Um, but certainly sort of late 19th century in the UK, I think it stopped being a thing in society as a whole, right. particularly obviously nobility. Uh, oh, yeah, so of course, in wider society, yeah. Mm. So I don't think it's ever a thing at the sort of very low levels, but it is a thing at, you know, more sort of gentry and aristocratic levels, um, mm. particularly with the ending of coverture in which all women's property is considered to belong to the husband. But I'll be on the lookout for it, as I said, in the Hanoverian series. I mean, I think it is actually, in a weird way, it's, it's still actually an issue with some other cultures and there's sort of dowry violence and all some sort of horrible things like that and i think i was reading something like that it wasn't technically illegal which is in some countries but it's not in the uk yeah but one of those i guess where it was a thing that used to happen and then doesn't anymore but then it sort of has come back um, through different cultures yeah yeah, but not quite being addressed i don't think that's still the situation if that was sort of 10 years ago i was having a little google a bit but no it's an interesting question though so we will see if uh a specific answer, an exact answer, mm. comes up in the next miniseries. Mm. Limerick from Louise Brimacombe for Catherine of Braganza. Yes, please. And I'm afraid, Ali, this is the last one that she has done for the Stuart Consort, so you will have to wait for Mary of Modena and Prince George of Denmark. Okay. I mean, it's been good anyway. Charles's first date with Catherine fell flat. She was feeling too seasick to chat. Though pleasant and fair, the style of her hair made Charles quip, they've bought me a bat. <laughs> oh, when you can hear the ending coming, you know that's nice. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, they're just absolutely lovely, these, aren't they? Mary of Modern. You and Maxwell enjoyed this episode. Incredible. I love the way this show dives into these important figures who we generally know so little about. And every episode is interesting. Thanks, mate. Yes, because again, Mary of Modern is a funny one where she's sort of both famous in terms of like the bedpan baby and glorious revolution, etc. But weirdly, she herself, yeah, gets lost. I know those things, but mm. don't didn't. Well, I do now. For, <laughs> in a, theory, a small amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was Mary of Modern. Next week, if you ask who was uh, queen consort at the time of the glorious revolution, oh, when am I might get there? I actually. mean, you did get her today. If I didn't have your friendly face looking at me. <laughs> Guide me. 
<laughs> like a child going off to nursery. If you're at a pub uh, quiz and everyone looks at you expectantly. Yeah. I think it was definitely Catherine. Yeah. Catherine of uh, yeah, Catherine yeah, of Boulogne. It's usually <laughs> Boulogne for some reason. Uh, yeah, it's usually Catherine, usually Boulogne. That's, yeah, that's exactly what I'd do. Uh, a number of people got in touch in relation to Mary's scandal score. Uh, firstly, sort of in, more in relation to James II, Rob Finch says, sex with almost nuns, bonus scandal point for James II. Why? Because Mary oh, yes, wanted nuns. to be a yeah, nun yeah. and yeah. had to be persuaded by the Pope to marry James, despite yeah. wanting to be a nun. Now, unusually for us, we were quite far apart in scoring Mary's scandal. You went quite high and I went quite low. Why was mine high? Uh, well, I think because of the scandal of the bedpan baby and all that sort of stuff, because of oh, the yeah. impact it had, whereas I was much more the, that I don't think there's anything to it in her, that she's not scandalous. So we had quite a different take mm. on it. So Eliza Blanchard said, I was particularly interested in the discussion around how many scandal points to give Mary. With other consorts, I've generally supported giving scandal points, even if the scandal wasn't real, like Joan of Navarre being accused of witchcraft, for example. But in this case, I supported Graham's low scandal score. Poor Mary, she did what literally every consult before her was supposed to do and had a healthy baby boy and it led to a scandal and revolution. She couldn't win. Yeah. I totally get it and I feel really sorry for her. Uh, but I'm trying to help here. This is Rex <laughs> You need these scores. Uh, she then undid when you only gave her one for Dynasty rather than the two. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it's also very, very strict. Yes, very. I have the rules though. Uh, Michelle Wood agreed with Eliza, saying, same, I think I've argued in the past against low battliness and scandal scores for the consorts, particularly since the first episode, uh, Agrippina, uh, when we spoke to Dr. Emma Sutherland about Agrippina, not that Agrippina was one of the consorts. Uh, the point was discussed about how scandal, even if fake, was indicative of them annoying the powerful. But in this case, I agree, it really had nothing to do with her. Could have replaced her with any Catholic and still would have had the scandal. As I think James would have been the one raising his child as a Catholic, whoever the mum was, and it was Charles II refusing to exclude him. Them. I don't want to give any more points. Well, no. I mean, that's actually arguing against more points. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because usually they say, yes, if, if there's controversy, then they deserve scandal points, even if it's not true. But here it was just didn't feel like she really had anything to do with it. It was about other people. And she was the vessel oh, right. yeah. that Scandal yeah, was attached she... to rather than really that she did anything to upset people other than just be generically Catholic. So be it though, I think. In conclusion, Lioness Feather said, I really like the one high, one low for Scandal. For me, it reflects the debate well. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of this, Mackenzie Welton had a more aesthetic observation. It's a nice touch that the dog also has headphones in the episode image. How does it? Yeah, I'm, and I'm glad she noticed that because it was a nice little detail from uh, from Rob to headphone the dog in the portrait with Mary. <laughs> so they both have headphones. Uh, Linda Hazeski was one of many people who wanted to hear more about someone else in the episode as a result of listening to it. As always, I enjoyed your podcast on Mayor of Modena. I would appreciate a supplemental episode about Anne Hyde, which was James II's first wife, but who died before oh, yeah. he became king. She did not become queen, but did give birth to two queens. Without her daughters, what would have happened to England? I believe she deserves an episode. Yeah. So we did cover her in the Privy Chamber episode for Mayor of Modena, but may maybe we'll do a, a clip from that in our messages and previews episode to give okay. people a little bit of a sense of Anne Hyde. Uh, and finally for Mary, Hannah Amos had a very good message on something that you actually brought up in the recording, but I cut because I wasn't sure if your sort of Rex fact was correct or not and I couldn't be bothered to 
fact check it. Okay. And I hadn't reacted well enough at the time that if it was true, then it, I didn't give yeah. it a bit more of a boost. Anyway, what you said was correct. So, see if you remember it. Hannah says, I used to work in Kensington Palace, and I know that at least one member of staff there still listens to the podcast, and I'm sure they'll appreciate me pointing out this ironic turn of events. At Kensington Palace, there are numerous sections that are divided by period or theme. In the Queen's apartments, named after Mary II, i.e. the Mary of William and Mary fame, there is a 17th century bed in what would have been her bedroom. The kicker is, it's not actually Mary Stuart's bed, it's the other Mary, her stepmother's bed. And it's also supposedly the bed where Mary of Modena actually gave birth to Prince James in, uh, before the bedpan debacle happened. Yeah. Or where the bedpan debacle happened, depending on how it's interpreted. Uh, consider, and that's you said to me, I think, in the episode that you thought you could actually see the bed at Kensington Palace. Where it happened. Yeah, I think I've been there and seen it. Yeah. And you remember correctly, but I couldn't remember. I think I once went to Hampton Court where they did an ex- exhibition and the bed was there for that exhibition. Oh, right. So when you said it, I was like, mm, I feel like I remember it seeing it somewhere else, but... So what sure. is it? What is wrong? So was it? In, is so it, it's, it's Mary right of Modena's the bed, place? the bedpan baby, um, yeah. but it's in the bedroom for her daughter-in-law, Mary the Second, who of course usurps the throne in the Glorious Revolution that comes about because of the birth of this baby in this bed. Well, that's a victory to um, the bedpan baby lady. Mm. Who is it? Mary of Modena. Mary Modena. Um, you may have taken my throne and sullied my name and forced me into penurious exile, but 300 years from now, when people visit your bedroom, it will be my bed that <laughs> yeah. they have there that because be it's the only about. one roughly from the right time. <laughs> yeah. Who's the winner right now? When, when you're being <clears> kicked <throat> and kicked and kicked, you've got to find those little, <laughs> little victories. Considering everything that happened, I find it highly amusing that Mary of Modena's bed is in the bedroom of the stepdaughter who usurped her and her husband. It's a rather crowded floor in general, with Mary and William, uh, George of Denmark and George II all dying in the rooms encompassing the king's and queen's apartments. Considering how the first four felt about each other, it always makes me laugh thinking about them all haunting the place and William trying to avoid George of Denmark for eternity. There's a, there's a, there's a spin-off series, isn't there, of ghosts? Yeah, I would say, just, it's lovely like imagining ghosts, but with the Stuarts. Ghosts of the kings and queens where they died. And yeah. Might, yeah, you're right. There must be collections of them all over the place. Like Hampton Court must be mm. do a few. Yeah. And I like as well the idea that, um, which is Hampton's getting the series, William III being there as Prince George is dying and being like, please recover, please recover, please recover. Oh, you really, you know, you used to seem like you didn't get on, but actually when it comes to it, no, I just don't want him to die here. Send him somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, good point. Speaking of which... Prince George of Denmark. Egg. As you can imagine, a lot of the correspondence of Prince George and consort relates to the fact that he became characterised as Prince George of Eggmark. Douglas Thomas enjoyed an egg who became Duke of Sausage, no less. Because he becomes Duke of Cumberland. Yeah. Uh, A5 on Twitter shared a gif of Michael from Rested Development saying, I'm sure that Egg is a very nice person. Huh? Uh, Ponyhoff Studio said scrambled egg Mike McMahon not a rotten egg uh, and Cat Mullin said oh dear a beige egg while Jess Watson looking at his episode image observed he even looks a bit like an egg yeah 
Um, I like, uh, he sh- we should have a little crown on an egg, but it'd look like Humpty Dumpty if we did that. Did he look like a bit like Humpty Dumpty? Was he round? Yeah. Well, yeah, he does get quite large, quite portly. There you go. Uh, I can't wait to see what Louise conjures up with that. <laughs> uh, a lot of people rather enjoyed George's episode. First up, Michelle Gibson. Oh, man, I really liked him, but I have an odd soft spot for Queen Anne as well for some reason. I don't think he's boring, just a chill guy, happy to be at home with his wife and have some drinks. He seemed like the kind of guy I'd want as a friend. No justification for my wanting him to have Rex Factor besides just a general liking of the guy. And he just put up with his in-laws who treated him awfully for no good reason. Also, every time he said egg, I said a very arrested development. Him? And laughed to myself. Yeah. Good, good work. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean that his his Rex his skill was just in defiantly existing yeah. and uh, like just he's he's done what the royal family wanted of all of their consorts over the past thirty years <laughs> from from Diana to Meghan. Um, uh, so uh, you know, well done. I mean, he is chill. He is chill. He does want to just um, be, <clears throat> but I get the feeling like. He he doesn't mind that he knows that's going to be the inevitable result, mm. but he does try yeah. to get involved. In. Joe Greer celebrated George's feminist credentials. I love George for not being Rexy, because we all know what it looks like when arrogant, unintelligent men are denied power. We've seen those tantrums. In a court like that, a man of lesser character would have made his exclusion from power everybody's problem, especially Anne's. This was an age yeah. where no man, let alone the son of a king, would have tolerated his wife having legal and social precedence over him, and yet he had no ego. He was kind and loyal and loving. Maybe he was just as dumb as they say. Regardless, I think he was fundamentally a good man. Yeah, I think he's probably characterised as like slow and stupid because it makes sense of his position for yeah. other people. <laughs> uh, David Van Rijk has pointed out that George's sympathetic character was foreshadowed at the very beginning of this series. Not the mini-series, the whole consort series. Talk about a world of coincidences. This morning, I went back and listened to the first episode of this series, which was mainly taken up with Emma Southern. When you asked her, when you asked her about what she is looking forward to in the new series, she said she was particularly keen on Prince George of Denmark for exactly the reasons I think we all have a fondness for him. The most unobtrusive consort. Can we award him the participation prize for this series? Yeah, it seems sort of fitting and and also the people of the time wouldn't mind that he gets quite a patronising primary school. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if William had been told you've got to find something for him, I already made him a duke, something else. Nice ribbon, you know. Taking part award. Fine, fine, we can all agree with that. But yeah, so that's funny, but apparently, yeah, so at that point we would have been... I imagine we would have been quite surprised when asked to pick, if we asked Emma to pick one out, and that she'd have said George yeah. of Denmark. But well, here we I, go. I wouldn't have had a clue what she was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but there we go. So it was foreshadowed. It was told. It was foretold. I Still, wonder how I did react at the time when she said that. Knowingly, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you probably waited oh. for me to tell you who he was and then. <laughs> yeah, okay. Or maybe I just reacted and you. Stay quiet. Yeah. That was one where we had to record almost all of our audio. Because something went wrong with our microphones, but Emma's was absolutely fine. So I didn't want to have to do the whole thing again. So it was one of the only times we were ever sort of scripted, albeit we'd said every word before. 
What well, um wasn't that recorded in your old flat? Yes, it was, yeah. But I mean now that does seem a long time ago. I feel like we've been flying through these consoles, but that does seem a long time ago. It was. <laughs> How many years have we been doing this then? Oh, five. Isn't that is that the longest I think it will be, yeah. Wow. It's funny, we flew through them at the start and we're sort of flying through them a bit more now, but we had a couple of years with a lot of gaps with COVID and moving house and babies and whatnot. Oh, yeah. So we had a very saggy middle. <laughs> no, what And what years did that correspond to? What years were our saggy middle? So we moved in went summer of 2019 mm. and then Bonnie and Ellie were both born that year mm. as well. So that was a saggy bit. And then 2020. But where were we in um, history years? Uh, well, it coincided actually. So with the sa- the first bit of Saxon consort, we got up to we'd finished Ethelred, the Unready. So we were about to do some Vikings and end of Saxons, and a special episode on Marlborough. Okay, that was so the first thing. Right. So right at the start? Right at the start, but we'd done about 10 by then. Oh, okay. Mm. Because there were quite a few Saxons. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, don't think I can remember any. I can't remember any of those. (laughs) (laughs) And then we picked up a bit later and then we're here. Then there was a Matilda and a Catherine and then, yeah, there we are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, even though people quite liked him, most accepted he wasn't made of the Rexy stuff. Uh, Nuala uh, McLaughlin commented sympathetically, he deserved a nice cup of tea and a biscuit. Yeah. Which is what a winner would get, and he just gets it anyway, so <laughs> shuffle through. Uh, Amanda Lett was also in sympathy with George. Et il possible that he would get the Rex Factor? No. That would be too much work for him. Let him have his tea and biscuit. Hmm. Uh, Dunstan's harp was torn. Sounds like a very different uh, thing. (laughs) On the one hand, I like him. Sounds chill as hell. I would prefer to conclude that he deserved more respect from contemporaries than he got. Then again, the disrespect shown to him was so universal at the time, it's hard to not to imagine he really was actually a bit rubbish. Well, there's that. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Yeah, so we're trying to explain why we all like him to contemporaries. It's like, because you all said he was rubbish. It's like, yes. Because we've all <laughs> met him. <laughs> oh, well, we never really thought about it like that. <laughs> we never thought you might be right. We just thought you might just be taking part as well. And by the way, we're judging you as well. Uh, Centuries of Sound said, Some are born with the Rex Factor. Some achieve the Rex Factor. Some have the Rex Factor thrust upon them. Prince George had the Rex Factor presented to him on a silver plate, but then left it in the taxi on the way home. Something I sympathise with. <laughs> uh, and Joe Pierce pa- uh, paints him in a rather less flattering light. It seems George is the Arnold Rimmer of the Stuart family. <laughs> Excellent reference. Uh, picking up on some other things from the episode, Andrew Schneider said, I'm loving the coverage of the 1674 Polish-Lithuanian election, complete with the great-grandfather of Bonnie Prince Charlie. I love Ali saying what an interesting idea. Did I, about what? So this was where um, Prince George was a candidate to be elected king 
of Poland or the Poland Lithuanian Commonwealth. They oh had yeah, active monarchy. What an interesting idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I stand by it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Anna Shortia had some in- additional information on something you oddly mentioned in the episode. Fun fact in regard to Married at First Sight. The programme is originally Danish and is still running here. It's much more down-to-earth and real than what clips I've seen of the Aussie and American ones. But okay. the interesting thing is that you mentioned Married at First Sight, I think in relation really to the Australian one in the Prince George of Denmark episode, and actually mm. it started off as a Danish programme. Ah, interesting. Correspondence Corner. So that was our Right to Reply episode on the Stuarts. Uh, Let us know if you enjoyed this episode and if you've got any further thoughts or questions on these queens or princes. Uh, You can find us on Twitter, X and Instagram at RexFactorPod or email RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe on whatever podcast provider you use or donate monthly or annually to join the Privy Council and gain access to over 200 bonus episodes at patreon.com forward slash rexfactor. And Discord, which is where we all chill and hang like Prince Egg. And we have some new Privy Councillors to welcome to the fold. Marianne, Erica Wilson, Pickle Weasel, Tim Roerstrom, Sarah Springett Spur, Chad Roberts, Corey Schmidt, Jordan Garner, Ash Rose, Chelsea Austin, Luce Hendricks, Andrew Byatt, Jamie Fergus, Sarah Fellows, Bill Ardito, Kate Hartfield, Shelby Burton, Hannah Elvidge, Alice Bocott, Anna Moel, Susan Findlay, Laura Morrison, Carson Brown, Savannah Casson, and Deborah McClatchy. Arise, arise, arise. Make yourselves at home and felt in Discord. Don't make yourselves felt. Well, don't get... I can feel a court case. That's all from us today. We're moving into a run of interviews now before doing a special episode on Edgar the Etheling for patrons or for anybody else to purchase, for which we will share a preview. After that, it will be our next mini-series, which will be the Hanoverian consorts. Bizarre. Till then, goodbye. Cheerio. Cheerio.